Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We're posting a Bible class every Wednesday evening, posted at 6.30, our local time, for those who cannot be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha. Now, also for those who are listening in other parts of the country and around the world. We're thankful to have this opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to spread God's word, to teach his truth, his truths all over the world through the, interne- uh, through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. So we're thankful that you're there and that you want to study. You want to get more into God's word and grow thereby in your faith because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And we're thankful to have this opportunity to be with you, to open up God's word and help you come to a fuller understanding of those rich teachings and truths and a better, a better understanding because there's so much confusion in the world today as to what God's word really says. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us in person. The church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. And Bible classes begin on Sunday mornings at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evenings, we come back together at 6 o'clock for another period of worship and Bible study. And then on Wednesday evenings, we have midweek Bible classes for all ages at, at 6.30 each Wednesday evening. Now, you're welcome to any and all of these services. And we also want to encourage you, as you listen to these posted Bible studies on Wednesday evening and Sunday morning, that you will share them with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other, text, and other technological means. You may help somebody get deeper into God's Word. You may help somebody grow in their faith, and you may help somebody eventually get to heaven. What a great blessing for them and for you. Now, also tell everybody to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. And when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smartphone or computer or whatever smart device they choose our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and a daily radio program Monday through Friday called Search the Scriptures. Also, and what I really consider to be a gem, it's a short Bible study every single day, seven days a week, only about 13 minutes each day. So it's easy to fit into our busy schedules. We call that today's Bible class. All of that will automatically go to your smart device and it will always be free. Well, at our website, you can also access hundreds of sermons, hundreds of biblically-based and spiritually-focused articles, again, all for free. Great deal of study material there just for your use, and again, always free. We're going to get back into our study today in the book of Jude. The book of Jude. We have been following along through Paul's letters and then James, uh, one you know, short letter, five chapters, Peter's first and second Peter letters, and then first, second, and third John. And now we have been over the last few weeks, we have been beginning the book of Jude. Again, as as we have said, the book of Jude was written by, we believe, I think it's reasonable to understand, one of the physical brothers of Jesus, one of his biological brothers through Mary and Joseph. Now, again, Jesus was not born biologically 
by Joseph's seed, but he was born through the womb of Mary. And so we believe that Jude, as he describes himself or identifies himself as a brother of James, and we believe James was that James who was the physical brother of Jesus, then Jude, being James's brother, would have also been a physical brother of Jesus. Now, again, James wrote a five, what we see today in our typical English Bibles, a five-chapter short letter. Jude's is even shorter, but it is very pointed, very much to the point, and, uh, you know, very direct in his, in, in, in his teachings and, and perhaps even some, somewhat of, a re, of rebukes against false teaching. And it is largely focused upon false teaching. Now, James, on the other hand, he has just a tremendous amount of material and instruction for the individual Christian as to how to live our lives as Christians effectively and faithfully. Jude is really focusing primarily, I think we can understand, upon false teachers who have come into the world even in his day almost 2,000 years ago. Well, the devil, the devil is busy. The devil is always trying to lead people into sin away from faithfulness and dedication to God. So even when we look around us today, we see all kinds of false teaching, and it abounds. And even to the extent of atheism seeming to be growing in its effect upon humanity, but then you have you know, kind of the subsets of atheism that we might call skepticism and agnosticism, but essentially they're pretty much all the same. Now, that seems to be growing. But even in Jude's day, almost 2,000 years ago, in what we might consider the early decades of the church, well, false teaching was already abounding. Again, the devil is always busy. Well, so we've, we've looked at the first, three, uh, first couple of verses and perhaps kind of gotten into the third verse, but I want to really go back and read those first three verses again. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Now, that would be true Christians. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And this, these were expressions of introduction and encouragement and, and you know, the, the, the hope of blessings upon those who would read this book that we find very commonly set forth in most of the New Testament letters. And then he gets into the real subject matter of this particular short letter, and that's Again, the warning against and the instruction to stand firm against false teaching. Verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, understand that James is calling for Christians, and certainly in all generations, to be aware, to be alert, to stand guard against false teaching. I've emphasized many, many times, more times than I can remember, through my teaching and preaching, when you begin to change God's word, it's no longer God's word. Now, that would probably bother a lot of people, 
but it would also probably be a particular point of truth that a whole lot of people have not even considered. We want to change things. And I say we, I'm speaking, you know, in a general kind of, you know, frame of reference. People want to change things in God's word even to suit themselves. Or they might say to suit our times, to bring it up to, you know, to, to a more relevant understanding and teaching. Uh, God is never irrelevant. God is always relevant. His teachings that are communicated in God's Word apply to us effectively today in our culture. We cannot become so sophisticated in our mindset that we think we've just become too sophisticated for God's Word. We cannot become so intellectual in our self-understanding that we think we're just smarter than, than what the Bible teaches. Both of those positions or suppositions are absolutely false and self-destructive because they're ideas that are planted in our minds by the devil himself. If the devil can get us to turn away from the Bible, he's got us. He's got us. Well, God's word is just as relevant today as was the case when it was first written down thousands of years before, thousands of years ago. Again, when we start to change it, we're eliminating it at that point from being God's true word. It becomes our word. We're putting our thoughts, our ideas, our mindset, our teachings in the place of God's teachings. And when you look at almost the last two verses in the entire New Testament, we read verses 18 and 19 of Revelation chapter 22, and notice how pointed these particular verses are against changing God's word in any way to any degree. The text says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, anyone, if anyone adds to these things. Now, what does that mean? You're adding your own teachings to what God's word already says. God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, now, what does that mean? You're rejecting some of what is there in God's Word, the Bible. God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So what's the basic emphasis of these two verses? And by the way, we could go on and on with other verses that teach essentially the same thing, the same principle. John, the apostle, writing the book of Revelation by inspiration or guidance from God through the Holy Spirit, he's saying, do not change God's word in any way to any degree, because when you start adding things to it or taking some things away from it, it's no longer God's true word. It's your word now. Your word. And that's not authoritative. We are not smart enough. We are not authoritative to be able to change God's word in any way. It is God's word. And he is all-knowing and he is all-powerful 
and he is authoritative. We do not have the authority. We do not have the wisdom. We do not have the knowledge to somehow step in and say, well, I think we ought to change this. I think we ought to add some things here. Or I think we need to take some of this away because, you know, it no longer, in our culture today, it's not going to be accepted. No, we need to accept it just as it is. We do not need to change God's word to fit the culture of the day. The culture of the day is always changing. We need to teach that the culture of the day needs to conform to the teachings of God's word. And that's the way it ought to be in every generation. Well, so Jude says, beloved. Now, again, he's writing this to Christians of his day, but it, it's to us too, today as well, because it is God's inspired word. It's part of the Bible. So he says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, encouraging you, to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, notice he said contend, but he did not say be contentious. Two different realities. And notice that he said also that the faith, and we've talked about what the faith is, it is the teachings of God's word. It is New Testament Christianity as we make the application to us today. The faith is God's word. If we want to boil it down, we can say the gospel of Christ. But essentially, the entire Bible is the gospel of Christ. But we're talking about New Testament Christianity. We're talking about the New Testament teachings of the church that Jesus came to this earth to establish and that came into being on Pentecost after his ascension back to heaven following his death on the cross and resurrection from the tomb. Acts chapter 2. The church came into existence. Now, it was established, and the New Testament is the teachings of the Savior who had come, John, uh, rather Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the establishment and the early history of the church, the book of Acts, and the doctrinal instructions as to how to live the Christian life and be the church and what the church should be doing and believing and teaching, beginning with Romans and going through, well, here, the short letter of Jude. The revelation is prophecy to a great extent from that day, a great deal of which I believe has already been fulfilled, but some still in our future until the Lord comes again. Now, so Jude says, look, the teachings of Christianity, it's already, they have already been given to us. That is the faith. Faith is my personal belief. The faith is God's word, which is the basis for the development of my personal faith. Faithfulness is my living faithfully or obediently and consistently to the teachings of the faith, God's word. That's my faith put into action through not just believing, 
but through obedience and dedication and commitment and service on a consistent basis. So James says, the faith, God's word has already been delivered. The true teachings of Christianity, we already have. And right now in our day, we can hold them in our hands in the form of the Bible. So he says, contend earnestly. In other words, stand firm on the true teachings of God's word. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. The previous verse to that, verse 31, he said, if you abide in my word or in my teachings, you are truly my disciples or my disciples indeed. So, and again, where does faith come from? How does it develop? Real faith, saving faith, by studying by learning, believing, and then obeying the true teachings of God's word. Romans 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I need to know what to believe. God has provided that for us in his word. He has given us the Bible, the scriptures, so that I can know what to believe, so that I can understand how I can be forgiven of my sins through Jesus Christ, how I can come to salvation in Jesus Christ, how I can be adopted as one of his children by God himself, how I can live that faithful, dedicated Christian life. That's the entire New Testament. I need to know what God's word says, basically, so that I can have the saving faith that God has designed to present me, uh, to present to me, and to guide me into through the teachings of his word. Jude says, don't mess with it. Don't try to change God's word. Contend earnestly, stand firm upon God's teachings. When we think about what the apostle Paul wrote along this line when he wrote his second recorded letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and again, the tenor of that particular letter seems to be that Paul, he was already a prisoner the second time in Rome as he wrote that letter, and he seems to expect to be executed pretty soon after he writes this letter. And so in the last chapter, verse chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he gives this charge to Timothy. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead and his appearing and his coming and, and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Preach the word, God's word. Timothy, you keep preaching God's word. Why? Why such an emphasis, such an emphatic instruction to Timothy? And it's an emphatic instruction to us today if we are going to be true followers of God through Christ. In verse 3, he goes on and says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So he's warning Timothy. He's warning the church through this particular letter. The time is coming. Now, he was talking about shortly after he wrote this letter. 
and probably to some degree that time had already started coming to be. He says, even those who call themselves Christians are going to turn away from sound doctrine, true teaching of God's word. And they're going to have ears that they want to have scratched. And so they're going to find teachers who will scratch their ears for them, who will make them feel comfortable in what they want to believe and in how they want to live. And the implication is they're in contradiction to what God's word really teaches. Now, that was true back then, almost 2,000 years ago. It's true today. People want to change the teaching of God's word to fit what they want it to say. It's just as wrong today as it was back then. It will always be wrong until the Lord comes again when we try to change what his word says, what it teaches. So Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith. Earnestly, strong word, adverb. With diligence, we might say. Contend earnestly for the faith, for the teachings of God's word, for the teachings of Christianity. And he says, this was once for all delivered. Just as when we think of what Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 27 teaches about why God sent Jesus to the cross. He says, who, that is Jesus, does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the prophets, because Jesus was sinless. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus did not go, need to go to the cross over and over and over and over and over again. His sacrifice on the cross of his life was absolutely perfect and absolutely essential to our salvation, but it was also absolutely sufficient in being offered one time for all time. He was, he was the perfect sacrifice, unlike all of those animal sacrifices that under the Judaic system in the Old Testament had to be offered over and over and over and over and over again, year after year after year after year after year. No, no. Jesus was the once for all perfect sacrifice. God's word is the once for all perfect word of God. The teachings of Christianity in the New Testament are the once-for-all perfect teachings and complete teachings of Christianity. We cannot improve upon them in any way by either adding some thoughts on our own or subtracting some of what the New Testament scriptures teach. They are God's once for all, delivered to us through the written word of the Bible, instructions as, how, as to how God wants us to come to him through Christ and follow him 
in Christ. Jude goes on in verse 4 and he says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we might read that particular verse, verse 4 of Jude chapter 1, and we might say, sounds like atheists or maybe agnostics or skeptics. But it's beyond that. It's, it's even those who would call themselves Christians or to some degree believers in God, but they're skeptical about that. They, the Bible now, when the Bible, you know, that's full of error, they would say a whole lot of just made up stuff. It's mythology to a great extent and all of that. And yet they would claim to be believers in God. Why don't you just, if that's your position, why don't you just go and declare yourself a full-fledged, full-blown atheist. Because when you reject God's word, you're rejecting God. If you reject God, you're rejecting God's word. And Jude is warning. He said, there, certain men have crept in unaware, unnoticed. Unaware, as the King James Version says, I believe. Unnoticed. Look, false teachers are very often very skillful in working beneath the surface for a long period of time till they gain a following and then they basically come forth in full blown in full blown scale announcing what they're what they're doing now they would never call themselves false teachers because they think they're they're teaching the truth but they're changing God's word right and left and they're sowing doubts in the minds of those who would come to God through Jesus Christ through their false teaching. And so Jude describes them as marked for condemnation. He describes them and identifies them as ungodly men. And of course, it can be women too. We can think of ungodly men here in in a generic form. And they turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, somebody might say, well, not all false teachers deny God and deny Christ. Let me say again, when you deny the truth of God's word, you're denying God. When you're denying the true teachings of Christianity communicated to us through the scriptures of the New Testament, you're denying Christ. It's a package deal. They go together. You cannot have one rightly without the other. Now, there are many out there who would pretty openly state they don't believe certain parts of the Bible to be truly God's word. Well, here's my question for them. How do you know? How did you arrive at your authority to make that declaration? And if you would say that certain parts of God's word are not really God's word, how do we know that what you say are the parts of God's word that truly are his word is accurate? See, you throw out part of God's word, 
throughout the whole world, the whole Bible. You can't have part of it without the rest of it. We're going to move on to verse 5 next time. Let's stop and pray. Father in heaven, you are the true God, the only God. And your word, the Bible, is truly your word. And thank you for it, Father. Help us to come to understand and live by those teachings because they are the building blocks for our faith. And those teachings, by your grace and your continued blessing, will see us through this physical life and lead us to eternity, an eternal home with you in heaven. Help people all over the world open their eyes because this world really, really needs to come to you right now, Father. Please forgive us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.